This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound, proudly sponsored by MiniQuiz. I'm your host Ian Turner and on today's show, James Constable. First, I'd really appreciate if you enjoy today's show to subscribe. Just head to gardenofsound.nz and hit one of the links on the front page. Right, the young man known as James. I first saw him play at Rockquest in Christchurch, then at a Soul Music Academy gig in the middle of last year. I was quite taken with his straight-ahead style and unwillingness to conform. He's got quite the musical pedigree as well. Two very musical parents from what it seems a tremendous amount of support around him. So with the impending release of his debut album, Tui, will James's enigmatic style prove to be his secret weapon? This is the Garden of Sound interview with James Constable on Plains FM 96.9. James, do you have any recollection of hearing music for the first time? Difficult to say what my first musical memory would actually be. Like, because I was born into a family of musicians, both of my parents met in the Air Force Band in the mid-90s. But I guess music was just on all the time. I think my first memory of not necessarily listening to music, but like seeing an album cover... Like, first album cover I really remember is the cover for Rubber Soul, which my dad had on CD. He had most of the Beatles albums on CD. I think in terms of making music, like, started very young, because my dad had Sibelius on his computer, Mm. or a very early version of it. So I would just sit down and I'd mess around a little bit, and eventually I'd come up with things that sounded kind of good. What did your um, mother and father play in the band? Dad was, and still is to a certain extent, a trumpet player. Okay. And then my mum played clarinet, but can also play things like flute and saxophone and stuff like that. Okay. I know one of them was in the CSO. I think my dad was in the CSO. Did your mum and dad actively get you into uh, learning music or playing an instrument? No. They very specifically, for both me and my sister... They specifically went, no, we are not going to push you in the direction of music. If you go in that direction, then great, which both of us have. Um, If we didn't, then that was also fine by them because we were independent and we wanted to do our own things. What sort of other career paths have been attractive for one James Constable? I considered being a football player Mm. at one point. I discovered football when I was like five from then to probably around eight or nine, Mm -hmm. being a professional footballer was my goal, Mm -hmm. no pun intended. Um, I'll have to disagree. (laughs) Um, So who's your, uh, who was your favourite team? Sort of by descent from my grandma, I'm a Man U fan, Man United. What was the deciding factor between a career in football and music? Was there something that happened along the way that made you think, right, music? The turning point for me was because when we were leaving a holiday in Nelson at one point, and when we were packing away, my dad put on the Beatles' White Album. Okay. And weirdly, the song that perked up my ears a lot that I wanted to listen to over and over again was Piggies. Okay. Yeah. Of all the songs on that album, I know. So I continued to listen to the Beatles. 
on top of that, my dad also had a, or still has a book all about the Beatles recording sessions. Yeah. And it's like all diaried and everything like down to the day and time and stuff like that. The combination of those two things sort of made me go, I could probably do that. Mm-hmm. I took my mum's iPad, which had GarageBand on it, mm-hmm. and recorded a few things. Like Initially, I was just learning the ropes of GarageBand, and I was just learning how to sort of put down MIDI, stuff yep. like that. Yep. The first song that I properly wrote, the song that sort of kicked off everything that I've done since, was a classmate of mine in year seven. Mm-hmm. She asked me to write a song for a teacher that was leaving at the end of that term. Mm-hmm. Once I had that song, I continued coming up with ideas, at which point I eventually went, you know what, I've got potentially enough songs for an EP here. So I recorded the songs that I had, and kind of everything I've done since then has been built off of that. Okay. What was the reaction to that song that you wrote for the teacher leaving? She cried. Yeah, in a good way. Okay. Um, the song is called Fly. It's still up on YouTube for those who want to go listen to it, but I wouldn't recommend it. It's pretty terrible quality. It was kind of cool to get a good reaction right off the bat, I think. Okay. And I think partially because of that, that's why I decided to continue on doing yeah. that sort of thing. So we've talked about influences in terms of uh, the Beatles, at least. Uh, anyone else out there that sort of influenced i was obsessed with the beatles for a long time Mm -hmm. and then i sort of ran sort of like exhausted everything that they had so i went on the search for other people and that that led me to like the beach boys and pet sounds okay and albums like that but the biggest shift was a youtube channel called reverb they had Mm. a thing called potent pairings where it would basically be these are the pedals that you need in order to sound like this band. Gotcha. I was watching those just for the fun of it, and one of the videos that they had was of a band called The Smiths. Okay. I watched that, and my instant reaction was, oh, they use Rickenbacker guitars. Cool. I just continued listening to that video over and over again, partially because I wanted something to connect me to that time period, I guess. Mm -hmm. Again, started to listen to the sort of Smith's catalogue. Yep. So it's, it's very similar to how I got into the Beatles. Okay. And then eventually there was one song, Suffer Little Children, yeah. which tipped me over the edge from, this is a cool band, uh-huh. to I'm a fan of this band now and I'm going to exhaust everything that they have. We are going to play Suffer Little Children now. What is your favourite part about the band? A lot of it is the musical style. A lot of the time a little bit darker than a, a lot of the Beatles stuff. And I think generally it's just jangly. And what about Morrissey as a singer? Um, the big question. Regardless of what you say of him, he is, I'd say, one of the best lyricists, at least of his generation. Okay. He has created a whole bunch of music that I really love mm-hmm. and people around the world love as well. Mm. Like, he's a particularly, like, throwaway singer, I would say. Like, he, particularly live, he doesn't really care if he's singing well or not. To a certain extent, in studio, he'd just do one or two takes. A lot of the time is great, but some of the time it was kind of to his detriment, in a way. 
I think the best example in the Smiths days is I Want the One I Can't Have from Meter's Murder, which is sort of like a whole semitone above the rest of the band. Those are the exceptions rather than the rule, I think. Should a recording be perfection? Depends on the song. Like, if it's a really polished thing, then of course it should be the best it could possibly be. If it's like a punk song, you could easily just do one take and be done with it. It's dependent on genre, dependent on mood as well, as to what sort of atmosphere you want to create. So is that saying there's no emotion in pop? That's a difficult question. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. Um, I think there is emotion in pop. In terms of what's on the radio at the moment, I would generally say that a lot of it does feel quite formulaic to me, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, I used to hate pop music a lot more back in the day than I do now. Sure. Partially because I've been exposed to a lot more of it. What are you appreciating about pop now? I think just pure pop catchiness. Okay. In a way, like... Writing that hook. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Like, And I've done a lot more of that sort of thing, not related to my discography, but related to some of the things I've been doing in town, which we'll get into. And we will cover that... Uh, at a later part of the show. This is The Smiths with Suffer Little Children. Over the moor Take me to the moor Dig a shallow grave And I'll lay me down Over the moor Take me to the moor Dig a shallow grave and I'll lay me down Leslie Ann and your pretty white beads Oh John, you'll never be a man And you'll never see your home again Oh Manchester, so much to answer for Edward, see those alluring lights Sacred head, Hindley wakes and Hindley says, Hindley wakes, Hindley wakes, Hindley wakes and says, Oh, wherever he has gone, I have gone. But fresh lilac, moorland fields cannot hide the stolid stench of death.
I'm on the mall. This is the Gardner Sound interview with James Constable on Plains FM 96.9. Uh, James, what's the first gig, first big gig you remember attending? First gig I remember attending was the Proclaimers back oh. in 2016. Wow. Yeah, I know that a lot of my folks are fans of the Proclaimers, so oh. I kind of got dragged along, and I appreciate the Proclaimers as well. Mm-hmm. I just remember that gig being very, very loud. Yep. Especially things like 500 Miles, everyone singing along. Yep. It was great. Have you yeah. taken anything away from uh, that performance? I think I was a bit too young and a bit too inexperienced to sort of take anything away from it at that point. But the biggest gig that I've ever attended, probably the biggest profile gig I've ever attended, was for my birthday in 2017, I got tickets to go see Paul McCartney in Auckland. Wow. Okay. That would have been a bit of a dream come true, I imagine. Yeah, it was, especially at the time, because mm-hmm. I was still a massive Beatles fan. Tell me how it differs for you from the recording through through to live. What's good, what's bad? In recording, you can record as many times as you think you need to. Like, you can get a much more polished product for live, especially when it's just me and my guitar. Mm-hmm. I've only really got one shot at it. And even then, I don't really mind how well I sing. Like, I, I will give the best performance I possibly can. A lot of it is sort of like mentality. Yeah. Tell me about um, your experiences at uh, Rockquest, for example. That's the first time that I saw you playing live. Uh, that was at the Heats at Burnside High School. Um, how did that feel? How did you feel like you came across? I think that I was very different both musically, because I was playing a lot more upbeat stuff on my acoustic than a lot of the other people were, but also in my style. Like, I remember one of the people's side of stage, I don't remember who it was, they actually said to me that my look was a whole lot simpler than everybody else's, Mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. So I'm taking from that that you are about the music. That's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. Has anything in terms of presentation or image or style, have you taken any of those on board or thought more about becoming a bit more, I don't know, showbiz, let's say? It has been suggested to me. like. Okay. Yeah, but like, I'm known to be quite a stubborn person when it comes to things like this. There was a long time where basically everybody around me was going, you should try and wear these clothes and I was going no um eventually I was forced to give in because the shirt that I usually wore for 
performances mysteriously went missing somehow, and I have no idea where it's gone. Okay. So instead of wearing just a short sleeve white shirt, I end up wearing a long sleeve white shirt and a jacket. And that's sort of been my luck on stage since. And how's that working out for you? That's fine. Yeah? I'm used to it now. Okay. So. Do you think that's part of it, just being getting used to a new way of doing yeah, things? Yeah, yeah. That's definitely part of it. Have you seen uh, that there might be um, some blockages or limitations to being stubborn in this industry? There's things that I don't see eye to eye on with some people. For example, if I was to do a gig somewhere and they were to go, we want you to play some covers. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I only want to play original music, as mm-hmm. I famously do say. Yes. Um, I'm f- like, I'm fully aware that can lead to sort of like roadblocks, like cutting off things like that. Sure. But at the same time, I also kind of feel like that's sort of going to lead me in the direction that I want to go, even if it is a smaller direction. But you might want to emulate the illustrious career of the Smiths or... Or Morrissey, sans the racism? Well, um, I would say, so, like, even with the Smiths, like, there's elements of their image, particularly Morrissey's image, that I don't necessarily like. Yeah. Like, I'd say that my image on stage is much more influenced by the Beatles. Yep. Or 60s bands of that, what, with the suit and everything. Yep. So music will win out overall? I'm hoping music will win out overall. Okay. That's, um... That's pretty important. We have just touched uh, back on the the Beatles again, and obviously that was that wonderful uh, Paul McCartney gig. One of your influences, obviously, is the Beatles. We've we've talked a a lot about that. We're going to play Paperback Writer. Now, tell me a little bit about why you you like this song. I think the first thing that drew my mind to it when I was first getting into Beatles was the harmonies at the start, like, Paperback Writer, Paperback Writer, etc. Pretty much in Um, tune, too. Yeah. um, Paperback! So, yeah, like, initially, I actually went into GarageBand yep. and I laid down all of those harmonies, or at least best I could, yep. to which Dad went, right, now I have the guitars. And so I just did the whole thing. Down to the uh, down to the George and Paul riffs. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least not playing guitar, because I wasn't a very good guitar player at that point, mm-hmm. but just the MIDI guitar yep. on the yeah, yeah, GarageBand. Yeah. To this day, it's still one of my favourite Beatles songs from my favourite Beatles period, which mm-hmm. is Revolver. Paperback
This is the Garden of Sound interview with James Constable on Plains FM 96.9. You've got an album coming out pretty soon. What's that going to be called? Um, The new album is called Tui. Okay. And it's going to be out on June 11th. Fantastic. The song that we're going to hear at the end of this section of the show is called Sundress, which is going to be a big part of that album, I'm sure. Tell me about the A, the creation of the song, the uh, the melody, the lyrics. How did that sort of come about? So the genesis of the song, so to speak, was in a songwriting class at the Soul Music Academy, right. which I'm a member of. Uh-huh. This was the first class of the year, I think. And I got put with a person called Abby Eastman, who is probably better known to listeners as Miro. Okay. But we wrote a song together that hasn't been released, Mm -hmm. but it was a songwriting exercise. And then right at the end, the mentor, Will McGillivray, he came and said, why don't you try and do something a bit more upbeat? Okay. So I quickly grabbed my guitar and I just did the chord thing that yeah. you'll hear yeah and as i was playing um abby just sang this melody on top okay which i thought was really really cool yeah once that was done i had to come up with a title for the song which luckily i already had that stored away i think it was a uh, maybe two or three weeks before this i've been scrolling through reddit mm. one of the posts that came up was titled something along the lines of why do girls in sundresses always look so good? Question mark. Um, which, and my initial right. reaction to that post was the word sundress look could be a good song title. I'm just going to saw that away in my head. Yeah. Diverting from that, um, what made you go to soul music? I discovered soul music, or rather my mum discovered soul music from a gig that I did at the piano a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. they had brochures out because they were based in the same building. Sure. So mum took one of the brochures, showed me. I thought, yeah, that could be cool. Mm-hmm. And so we went and met up with Sasha, the the head. Mm-hmm. And we met up. I played one of my songs and she was really happy with it. So initially I just started getting singing lessons. Yeah. And then at the start of last year, I was put onto a bespoke program. Okay. So that meant that I was taking singing lessons as normal, but I was also taking music business, production, and songwriting on top of that. Okay. How has um, uh, Soul helped you thus far? I think it's just helped me improve in every way. Like, initially, all because all of the effort was going into to my vocals, yep. that immediately saw a massive improvement. Okay. But... Being on the Bespoke program has been really good because it's allowed me to learn more about the business side of things, which is something that I wasn't very familiar with. Mm. And it's the sort of thing that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else because mm-hmm. a lot of the business stuff at high school, for instance, is just general. Like, there's nothing anywhere, I don't think, mm. else in Christchurch that can provide that. Mm. That is probably one of the coolest things about the Soul Music Academy is that you can get education there about the music industry that you can't really get anywhere else. Okay. Back to Sundress. Who's been involved in the production of this particular Um, track? I've done the majority of it myself. Mm. I've got a wee studio set up at home and a lot of the 
basic tracks for the album were recorded there. And you're using Pro Tools as yes. opposed to Logic. Yes. Why, why Pro Tools for you? Pro Tools is just what I learned on, like, once I started getting really serious. Because mm-hmm. all of the tutorials I was looking at were Pro Tools based. Yeah. And getting anything else would have meant, or, like, getting Logic would have meant buying a Mac. Yes. And my dad is very much against Apple products. So there wasn't anyone else involved in the production? So it's all been produced um, by you? Will has been involved a little bit. He has been advising the mixes both for Sundress and for the whole album. Right. Like, There's a very clear gradient which you'll be able to hear on the album of which songs were mixed first to which songs were mixed last because okay. it just improves so much okay. over the course of the album. Okay. I think we should hear this track. What is your favourite part of Sundress? I do really like the melody. Yeah. Like, I think one of the other things that is on this song that doesn't really feature anywhere else on the album. And this is also something that shows me opening up to the powers at Soul is there's backing vocals on it. Mm-hmm. There's one backing vocal sort of in the bridge and then underneath the guitar solo, which you'll hear, and right at the end, there's sort of like ad-libs yeah. and things like that, all verbed out yeah. and stuff like that. Fantastic. And I'm really proud of those. Like It's not something I would have thought to do and i think just with the song in general it's not really a song that would exist if i didn't go to soul is abby getting a credit on any of the liner notes yes she will be getting a songwriting credit i do actually need to get in touch with her and discuss royalties as well absolutely so if you're listening then get in touch yeah get in touch if (laughs) if i haven't gotten in touch with you already um (laughs) oh let's hear it this is sundress from james constable Die, die. 
This is the Garden of Sound interview with James Constable on Plains FM 96.9. You're 17, James. Um, I always find this question interesting when I say look back to a, a younger you. At this point in time, is there anything that you would have done differently in your uh, short but fabulous career? I think I would have started to make higher quality recordings sooner ah. because my school also has a little studio set up yep. and that has the ability to record drums. I didn't start recording drums there until I started work on the Sunshine of Britain EP and everything after that. Like a lot of the earlier songs, they were of good enough quality. I think that they probably deserved to have higher quality drums. Not that I really could have done that anyway, because I was limited to 16 tracks, given the free version of Pro Tools. Is there any um, desire to go back and re-record? Not really. I kind of have a mentality of once it's done, it's done. Okay. Like I probably would go back and remix things if I needed to, but I wouldn't want to necessarily re-record anything. You've mentioned, and we have talked a lot, about the production aspect of the music. Do you see yourself solely as a uh, singer-songwriter performer, or is there a desire to produce potentially um, or engineer mix for other people? Absolutely. That would be a necessity if I was to try and make a living from what I'm doing in the music industry. Because sure. like, I'm fully aware that with the sort of style that of music that I write and play myself, mm-hmm. there's only so big an audience that you can capture, yeah. especially here in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So there would have to be other gigs on the side, sure. whether that be producing for other people or being a session musician Yeah, that I would have to do in order to sort of make ends meet. But that's a sort of thing that I would really enjoy doing. Yeah. Like I think just generally producing a, mu- a song is one of my favorite things about music that's cool um what about uh, when this world sorts itself out and we can we can travel um have you been to manchester i haven't okay i've barely been overseas actually uh, would you consider that as sort of a musical pilgrimage potentially 
Yeah. Well, and pro- football, potentially, actually. Yeah, true. Um, just generally traveling is something that I would quite like to do. Yeah. Whether that be just to Australia at first or yeah. even going to Europe, which would be, I think, really fun for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We shall ponder on that during the break. Uh, we're going to come back and play mini quiz. This is James Constable on Garden of Sound. There's only one way to settle this. There is another way. Visit midiquiz.com and see how your general knowledge stacks up against friends, family and Darren down the road. It's free and a great way to get you ready for the big leagues. Visit miniquiz.com now. That's M-I-N-I-Q-W-I-Z.com and show everyone who the quizit in your neighbourhood really is. Miniquiz.com. Start small and do them all. This is the Garden of Sound interview with James Constable on Plains FM 96.9. We're about to play mini quiz. James, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. You're going to have 60 seconds to answer as many as you can. If you don't know the answer, just say pass. And just pass quickly if you don't know because there's plenty of questions. Not many people get to the end of those 10 questions. All right, James Constable, your mini quiz starts now. Which singer released an album called Pure Heroin in 2013? Pass. Who performed the 91 best-selling single Everything I Do, I Do It For You? Brian Adams. Which musician had a hit entitled Love Is A Battlefield? Sting. Which Jamaican rapper released Bombastic in 1995? Pass. What was the surname of Sonny from the duo Sonny and Cher? Pass. Which ACDC song from 1979 begins with Livin' Easy, Livin' Free? Highway to Hell. Which New Zealand band released the 1982 album entitled Cool Bananas? Dee Dee Smash. What was the name of U2's first album released in 1980? Boy. Which musician sang about Shorty in 2010 and uses the name as an alter ego? Pass. At what age did Tom Petty die? 60. Very close. James, you've done tremendously well. Um, we're just going to go through those those answers. Pure Heroin in 2013 was Lord. Oh, okay. Yeah, Brian Adams, Everything I Do. Well done. Love is a Battlefield, Pat Benatar. Ah, oh, okay. Okay. Mr. Boombastic was Shaggy. Back in 1995, it was a Levi's commercial well before you were born, obviously. Uh, what was the surname of Sonny? That was uh, Sonny and Cher. Uh, Sonny Bono. Uh, he used to be the mayor of, I don't know, Palm Springs or something like that. Died in a terrible skiing accident. There we go. You didn't need to know that. Living easy, living free. You're on the highway to hell. Well done. Um, cool bananas. Well done. Dee Dee Smash. Fantastic. Uh, boy, congratulations. That was U2's first album. Uh which musician sang about Sheldy? Uh, that was Justin Bieber. There you go, one of your pop idols, of course. Uh, and at what age did Tom Petty die? Tom Petty, surprisingly, made it all the way to 66 ah. years of age. Um, four out of ten. That is pretty good. That is a pretty good... Yeah, uh, it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. We've had a few uh, ones on the show. Uh, Tui coming up. June eleventh, which is very exciting. Um, what are the uh, what are the show plans? Where do you intend on playing uh, to promote this album? There's no plans at the time of recording. Uh-huh. I've got potentially 
a couple of gigs at Toothumb Brewery on Manchester Street lined up. Cool. And I might try and organise to play some small venues sure. sort of around North Canterbury yep. as well. So yeah. no big release show at the Ring Yorra Town Hall or that kind of, kind no, of thing? No, your favourite son? I don't have the audience for that yet. Okay. Um, oh, you never know. Just you've got to put it out there. Would you, would you like to tour this around the country? If I had the opportunity to, then I would. Sure. I'm fully aware that I don't really have the audience for it. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest things for me, and this is probably something that kind of sums me up, it's like, mm. like Catch-22s. Like, I don't have the audience to justify putting on the gigs, but I need to put on the gigs in order to gain the audience. Sure. And it's that just balance. things like that, especially at my age, yeah. that are kind of holding me back. Because this is absolutely tremendous for you to have your first album out at 17 years of age. That's yeah. amazing. When well, do you turn 18? Uh, October. Okay. That is absolutely huge. Um, uh, I think you might have mentioned either in the interview or prior, taking a gap year next year. What do you want to do during then? I just generally want to try and make this thing work. Okay. Like, failing that, I would like to go to Mainz. Okay. Because... As I mentioned to you earlier, it's very much a different route to the same destination sure. of working in a studio and helping songs get made. Do you have a plan, apart from when you say making it work in this year off, do you have a plan? I don't have any particular plan at the moment. That's something I have to talk to people at Soul about. Yeah, I have briefly considered submitting some demos to Flying Nun. Yeah. And seeing if they'd be interested in doing something with them. Yep. But whether I do that before I do the next album, or whether I record the next album and then approach them after that, yeah. is sort of remains to be seen. Okay. That's a big yeah. thing. Yeah, it's something that I definitely like to do, though. I think if I was to sign to any label like worldwide, I would probably be flying down Fine because now. of the legacy of the label and yeah. sort of what they do. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're going to finish out the show with The World's Greatest Number. Now, this is an older song for you? A reasonably older song. It's my latest single. Okay, there we go. So um, it's not that old, is it? Yeah, it's not okay. that old. Yeah, yeah. Like, I wrote it... Are you happy with it? Yeah, I'm happy with it. Brilliant. Yeah, I wrote it at the start of last year. Okay. It was written in that sort of awkward time period where the Australian bushfires had died down yes. slightly, but COVID hadn't really taken off yet. So... <laughs> So I love these signposts. Yeah. So um, it's kind of so like my opinion on the world at that point. Yeah. Like because like the song sort of like got two double meanings. There's yeah. the person backstage waiting for the finale of a show, which is sort of like the surface level what the song's about. But the deeper meaning has all sorts of things about what I thought of the world at that point. Like, one particular lyric relating to the bushfires was, a, I see the Aussies, they are on fire, which can mean these Australians are really good singers and I want to be like them, or it can mean Australia literally. is literally on fire. on fire. Of course, more information at gardenersound.nz forward slash James hyphen Constable. James, I am tremendously excited about the release of Tui on the 11th of June, and I just want to thank you heaps for coming on the show today. Thank you. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's coming close. 
for my tracks of the week to kick us off former guest of the show michelle decray she's fresh from a sellout gig at greater goods and has just dropped her debut single which really shows off her fantastic vocal talent this is midnight Looking me all over Looking me all over 
track which in a way is in support of what james is doing is from the chills and their latest album scatterbrain released just a couple of weeks ago this pleasing little ditty is the walls beyond abandon Beyond the bandit 
Thanks for joining me today on the show and thanks also to James Constable for being my guest. Head to gardenofsound.nz and click on James's image on the front page. From there you can find out more about his debut album Tui, released June 11th. Huge thanks also to show sponsor Mini Quiz. You can find out more at miniqwiz.com. I'm Ian Turner. I look forward to bringing you Garden of Sound same time next week. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening, and keep playing. In the Hurrah.